Boom. Hello and welcome to the Executive Protection Lifestyle Podcast with your host, Byron Rogers. This podcast is dedicated to the executive protection practitioner, the private security professional. In this podcast, we're going to talk about the mental, emotional, psychological, physiological fitness that goes into being an efficient and effective executive protection agent. Whether you're in law enforcement, whether you're a mom that's looking at how to protect your children or a father that's focused on how to protect his family. I believe this podcast has something for all of you. We might even get into some tales from the crypts of true Hollywood stories from time to time. I'm doing this podcast because I feel the reality of this job is simple. If you really want to be good at executive protection, it's more than just a job. It really is a lifestyle. And those of you who've been in the game for any serious amount of time, you already know what I'm saying is true. So if that sounds interesting to you, Enjoy the show. Out. Boom. Yo, special announcement. We've got the very first Protector Symposium coming up this November 15th and 16th. Check the website, Byron Rogers Motivation, for more information about it. You can purchase tickets there. It's going to be amazing. We've got Ed Caldron and Yosef Badu coming on to teach us some hardcore soft skills. Check it out. Get involved. I guarantee you won't be disappointed. We're going to have a great time leveling up as protector. So check the website, ByronRogersMotivation.com or ExecutiveProtectionLifestyle.com for all the details and to purchase you and your security detail, police department, or families tickets out. Boom. What you are currently listening to is part two in a series If you haven't heard the first one, I suggest you go back and check out the content we put down one episode ago. If you've earned your way here, sit back and enjoy the show. We've got some awesome content coming your way right now. In your over the course of your career, are there uh, what would be your proudest moments in the game? So I think the proudest moments are uh, again moments where you can you can get a specific result that comes from something that um, something that you've detected, something that you did, you know, so much of, of our, of the work we do is kind of ambiguous stuff, particularly if you're working on prevention, if you're good at prevention, if your preventive strategies are good, you make sure that nothing happens. Mm -hmm. And it could be kind of frustrating to see that nothing happens and you can't measure that. Um, So it is interesting. Uh, And again, you should be satisfied by the fact that nothing happens, but it's really difficult to kind of put your finger on what you did to, you know, but when you find something, when you're paying enough attention and uh, particularly in the, in the parts of uh, covert kind of work with surveillance detection, stuff like that, where you've detected a correlation, you've detected somebody in a vantage point, and then they move to another vantage point, And then boom, you have a detection of something that you can deliver on for to to an investigative uh, unit that pursues that is is satisfying. Or when you mm-hmm. pay enough attention, and you detected a drone operator that um, when he first launches the drone, before he even launches the drone, and then you and then you catch him launching it, and bam, you just you you make the detect, you make the report, and then boom, security triangulates on the person, and you get something like really what you can actually see and a physical result of something. Th- those are those are always beautiful. 
Yeah. Heck yeah. No, that's awesome. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> just, just gets kind of to see your, cause you're right. You're, I feel like with that type of work, you're kind of in this like mucky, like, like this world of like trying to look for these clusters and correlations and you're like, you're yeah. doing a lot of work and like, <laughs> it can look like maybe nothing or that you're verifying nothing, you know, but then well, in most cases there, it is going to be nothing in most yeah, cases. Yeah, yeah exactly. Uh, so, you know, and that's, it's a weird thing to hope for something bad to happen. But then again, I mean, you're there for that purpose. Yeah. So uh, to provide that result is a very physical kind of way of, of uh, it, it, you know, it really kind of clicks in. Yeah. Heck yeah. Yeah, that's awesome, man. I could totally see how that would be. So HiCom, we talked a little bit about HiCom. Mm -hmm. And you said that they're primarily oriented around the Jewish community helping who, what, where, when, why? Do you want to go into HiCom anymore? Sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so we we started out, HiCom was founded in 97. Mm -hmm. uh, so it's even before 9-11. And, um, you know, uh, protecting at least the physical, the protective services part of it, because HiCom also has, uh, it's subsequently split into two companies and it, and it has uh, an equipment part to it. And we always have a security systems installation part to it. Uh, but the the protective services aspect has always been, uh, focused on the Jewish community and Israeli community because we have an Israeli background. We were founded by uh, an ex-Israeli uh, member of the uh, uh, the Shin Bet uh, who was doing dignitary protection and 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 um, uh, protection of uh, embassies and consulates and and he founded it. And most of the people in the beginning, like me, were Israelis. Uh, so the clientele that's concerned about terrorist activity is obviously the, the Jewish and Israeli community. So they're mm -hmm. our first clientele, but it's expanded dramatically since then. It's, it's basically, we provide high end, high level preventive security. And it turns out that a lot of people are interested in that. And it, it just spread to everything from community centers and hotels and uh, Silicon Valley uh, loves that kind of stuff. Uh, and a big part of it is, and, and maybe I think a big part of the, the adaptation of the Israeli methodologies, particularly when it comes to customer service, is that if you understand deeply enough what it means to prevent, if you understand deeply enough that what you're targeting is not an attack, it's the hostile planning process before the attack, and you understand the vulnerabilities of a hostile planner, you can target those vulnerabilities very subtly in a way that's going to target a hostile observer, but isn't going to freak out or offend anybody who's not a hostile observer. Yeah. So it's, it's a, you can make an omelet without breaking any eggs. And it's a, it's a thing of beauty. And a lot of, a lot of organizations really value that kind of security. And that's, that's why we've expanded since then quite a bit. Yeah. yeah that's awesome. That's good to go, man. <laughs> uh, you know, yeah, no, it works. <laughs> yeah. And I love what you said, because it's like the people who, you know, so an observer or someone who's in that hostile planning cycle, yeah, they're kind of sketched out and they're like trying to kind of get their pictures and understand or do their advanced work. Um, and they realize you have certain contingencies and certain hard points or places that they're trying to be or see or observe. Yeah. Uh, you know, people don't you know, often think about that. The fact that a hostile planner is much more vulnerable than, yeah. than, than a lot of people realize definitely more vulnerable than an attacker. And everybody's always focused about on the attacker. Mm -hmm. the, the, the hostile planner is the one who has to a collect 
a lot of information uh, in order to put together uh, the attack and the, the plan to the attack. Mm -hmm. B has to do it covertly, which is really difficult. Really difficult. <laughs> they have a huge amount of risk on their hands. You know, people always talk about ourselves. You know, we work in risk management. Uh, think about their risk. Now, right. you don't have to sympathize with the bad guys, but if you look at things from their perspective, boy, do they have a lot of risk. They could get yeah. captured. They could go to prison. They could get killed. They can they yeah. can fail in what they're trying to do. So they're bringing a lot of vulnerability to this. And if you, you know, it puts us in a position where we could treat everybody the same and they sort themselves out based on what they bring to what the table. A hostile yeah. observer is very vulnerable to mm -hmm. attention from security. Oh, yeah. A non-hostile observer, not really. I mean, thank you, right? Just flies <laughs> right over there. You're not offending them. You're just yeah. politely acknowledging them, nodding your head and, you know, saying hi. It doesn't hey. really do much to them. Yeah. 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 What are you doing here? Oh, I was going for a walk in the park. You're talking to a hostel. They're going to be scared. I mean, because because why are you in a place where you're not supposed to be? <laughs> you know, why We're are just you receiving that amount of attention from attention. security? I'll tell you, it doesn't matter if the attention yeah. is polite and nice yeah. and friendly. It's not what you it's what you're trying to avoid from the hostile perspective. Yeah. You know, we're not trying to scare hostile planners. We're just trying to make it easier for them to go somewhere else with it. Exactly. Ideally to abandon it or at least to go somewhere else with it. Yeah. The deterrence. Man, yeah. no, that's good stuff. So now we segue right into terrorist activity prevention. If you were going to give like a 101, <clears throat> what is this made up of? You know, broad strokes, of course, you know. Yeah. <laughs> okay. <clears throat> um, yeah, if you were going to give everyone like a crit, this is boom, 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 down and dirty. This is it. This is what we're yeah. Doing. Okay. I'll try to, I have a, a pretty much a weekly four hour session on this. So I'm, I'm going to try to reduce it, <laughs> condense it a little bit. Yeah, time, okay. you know. There's two parts. There's two parts to it. There's two parts to it. First, uh, with the first thing you have to understand is that uh, prevention and reaction are not the same thing. These are two capabilities that you want to have on hand, but they're not the same thing. Prevention comes first, reaction comes later if necessary. Hopefully it doesn't, but you want it on hand in case. The dividing line is the instant you realize that there's an incident, that there's something going on. Uh, so you think about a prevention as a vaccine and reaction as emergency room antibiotic injection. Uh, both are really necessary. Both this can reaction will save your life, but obviously prevention is better. Now, if you want to delve into prevention, I think the thing that's missing for most people, most organizations is the understanding of hostile planning is the understanding of what you're trying to prevent, what you're trying to disrupt. Mm -hmm. um, for most people, um, an attack just comes out of nowhere. Or even if the people know, okay, yes, the, the attack doesn't come out of nowhere. We know that a hostile observer has to come and they have to prepare. They, most people don't really understand what preparing for a hostile attack uh, entails. Mm -hmm. So it's really, really important to go to delve into the concepts of the hostile planning process to, to look at the similarities between different kinds of attack, not in the execution part of the attack, but in the planning of it and how they were observing before they made the decisions, which decisions they made uh, based on what they saw. There's always collection of some information and then a decision-making process. And, and if you can't understand that and how that applies to the specific environment you're in, uh, then you're going to be shooting in the dark. 
So you have to look at it from the hostile perspective, both theoretically and also physically. Uh, go out and map out all the vantage points where you, if you were a hostile observer, how would you observe your client, not as a client, but as a target? And you do it yourself. Look at your client from the outside as a target. Where would you even position yourself to be comfortable uh, to be able to collect information and do it covertly so security doesn't see what you're doing? Yeah. And by gaining those, that kind of understanding in a physical sense, you position yourself in a much better place to then go back to your security uh, posture and your security positions and know where to look and, and, and what to do about those, uh, those uh, locations. What, what are the vulnerabilities that, that they have? Every hostile planning process has a certain, uh, there has to be a certain amount of information that's collected and a decision-making process and even training and planning uh, that is based on that information before execution and then escape and exploitation uh, when applicable. So uh, one, of the, one of the important points right, right in the beginning is the uh, collection of potential targets. Uh, there's no such thing as a do or die target. There's always other options. And part of what we're trying to do is send them uh, to another one of these options that are going to be better for them. Uh, it doesn't warm my heart that uh, I sent somebody to another place. And if we can, we will collect enough information and deliver it on to uh, law enforcement, government fusion center, the NICRIC we have up here, uh, a government sector that can go after uh, people. We don't have the capabilities to do that. But uh, from the hostile perspective, you have collection uh, of potential targets, then open source information collection. They want to uh, understand the potential targets from open sources. Again, this is based on actual case studies and what they do. Mm -hmm. uh, That's your in, social media and all your- Exactly, yeah, stuff. huge yeah. amount of information. They can collect it remote. They don't even need to leave their house. They don't even need to be in the country to do this. Mm -hmm. uh, access to a ton of information and can be collected very safely. Mm -hmm. uh, then uh, comes, uh, depending on the situation, comes initial surveillance, particularly if the entity was not there, it's not a homegrown or an internal threat. Um, initial surveillance, uh, which can confirm the information that's been collected from the open sources and can give you other pieces of information that you usually cannot get from open sources. And a big one is security. Most organizations don't exactly advertise their security procedures. Uh, and so from a hostile perspective, You'd have to show up and see what kind of security the organizations that, that the potential targets have before you narrow it down to that one final target. Yeah. Uh, once you have that one final target, you can, uh, from the hostile perspective, delve more deeply into it with operational security, really learning the vulnerabilities of the target and the best vulnerabilities uh, to put together a plan around it. You might generally know the, the general plan, but you have to nail down all the details of the plan, when, where, how exactly you're going to do it and finding the vulnerability, finding, for example, the best way to get into the facility, um, the best access point. Maybe it's the main entrance, maybe it's the loading dock and the back entrance, um, but finding that, that perspective. Operational uh, planning, so uh, nailing down the details after that training and rehearsal. If you have a general plan in advance, you can do general training in advance. If you're talking about a single shooter with a handgun, well, training for that would be make sure the shooter can shoot straight, change magazines, cause maximum damage, so forth. If the plan involves improvised explosives, uh, you test out the explosives like Timothy McVeigh did 
in Gatorade bottles, take it out, the ammonia nitrate-based fertilizer-based explosive, take it out to the desert, make sure it works, make sure it blows up. Unlike people who skip that step, like shoe bomber, underwear bomber, Times Square bomber, they're not bombers, nothing blew up. Uh, they, they skipped a very important hostile planning step. So from the hostile planning planner perspective, it's not a good idea to skip steps. Luckily for everybody else, they did though. Yeah. Training and rehearsal, advanced surveillance when, um, when necessary, a, a rehearsal sometimes involves a dry run. And when you do a dry run, you're collecting extra information. Uh, information you didn't have because you've never been that close. Or you've never conducted a dry run on the actual target. So that's extra advanced uh, surveillance that you're getting, advanced information. Uh, from there, last minute surveillance and boom, the attack comes. Um, it could be one continuum depending mm. on the situation. Uh, if it's one continuum in one sitting, it's usually the less organized kind of attacks, the more sloppier situations. It does, unfortunately, it doesn't necessarily mean they're, they're, they're going to fail in their attack, but a person who's not very well prepared and lurking around the parking lot the whole day before running inside and starting to shoot everybody, uh, those are the less prepared kinds of attacks yeah. versus the more prepared where they knew exactly when, where, and what and, and to come. And because they did a lot of that work in days or weeks or months right. prior, and then they can just go in very surgically exactly when they wanted. And we had some attacks recently that emphasizes emphasized, uh, that point where how did the person know exactly when to come and to catch the most amount of people in there and to cause maximum damage? And that's why, because they, because they knew what they were doing. Yeah. Um, so understanding the hostile planning process, and again, it can take place in many different ways. It isn't always all that long, but it is comprised of those information collection points and the decisions that are based on that information. Awesome. Solid. Yeah. Okay. So back to the uh, activity prevention 101, mm -hmm. getting into your second bullet point. Okay. So the way that we usually think about this, um, not unlike uh, it's a very Israeli way. It's not, I don't think it's an Israeli invention necessarily, but the, the idea of circles of security, it's been around in, for many years. It's applied in many different ways, military, law enforcement, security. Everybody has different ways of applying it. I usually talk about two general circles. Ideally, you should have as many as you, as you can, but you generally have the inner circle and the outer circle. The inner circle is what most people are used to. It's the property itself and maybe the immediate exterior of the property. Let's say the, the sidewalk and the curve. It's just, even if it's technically not part of the property, it's really, really close. You want to give it extra attention and control. And then there's the outer circle where I usually start with, I start my explanations with, and that's chronologically where everything comes. It's the whole area, the general area all around the, the potential target. And the way you figure out how big of an area it should be is by putting yourself in the shoes of the bad guys, figuring out where you would be, where you would position yourself to observe the client as a target. And by doing that, you find those vantage points and you realize how big of, a, of an outer circle you need to have. Um, Is this where protection circle came from? <laughs> yeah, yeah, the circles of security and protection circle. Yeah, it, it. it also denotes the idea of like a circle of, of, of uh, a conversation kind of uh, hmm. dynamic. But yeah, the circles of security is such a, 
is such a huge part of what we do. And, and it's a big part of the, how we think. It's always the more important part of it is, is the way of thinking, because what you do changes every time. It, it applies in different ways. But you think about things from the perspective of circles of security. And your outer circle is that, that circle where you're not physically uh, in charge of its, its, its public property or, or even other private properties, but it's locations from which you can be observed Mm-hmm. and hence locations from which the hostile planning process might be coming. And you want to nip it in the bud. You go as early as possible and as far away as possible. You don't let them come to you. You go out to them and apply it in a very subtle way because we can't be aggressive about it outside of Israel. We're not necessarily going to go and question every single person we see out there in a vantage point, but we at the very least want to show them a some deterrence by appearance. Anybody who wants yeah. to observe us will show them that security is switched on, it's yeah. professional, it's in control of the property, and it's aware of the area around. That by itself should set you apart from most potential targets. That by itself, if you only have that, it's already very likely that they're going to go somewhere else where they don't have those switched on operators on the outside yeah. uh, paying attention to the environment. But to go even above and beyond, you want to pay enough attention. You want good visual control of the area so you can detect people who spend time in that area. And as soon yeah. as you detected them, you give them an acknowledgement. Uh, the exposing or the soft exposing, which is an acknowledgement. In most cases, you don't need much than much more than just a nod of the head to the person who's, who's observing, observing the entrance, observing security. Uh, this is the beauty. This is the part where you're making an omelet without breaking any eggs. Because to a normal person, without hostile intent, uh-huh. without, that that's not vulnerable to attention because they don't. They're not trying to hide anything. Yeah. Uh, maybe they not back. Maybe they don't. You're not offending them in any way. You're not freaking them out in any way. But a person who's trying to collect information to figure out if this is a good target and gets acknowledged, detected, and acknowledged by security from, let's say, a block away. That's bad news. Yeah. Uh, the nod of the head might not mean much to a normal person, but to a hostile observer, it means that security has detected you and acknowledged your presence at this place at this time. Security has your time, location, and general description. Yeah. And that's bad news. I'm not expecting to, to scare them off. I'm expecting anybody to run away screaming. I'm expecting them to realize, yeah, this is by far not the ideal target because yeah. I'm easiest target and this is by far not the easiest target yeah absolutely and now from there if you want to go to the inner circle mm-hmm. the inner circle is comprised of some some two, two general basic uh, ideas of um establishing a secure start which is what you do in the beginning of any event or the beginning of a of a shift or of a morning shift is a good example of it some kind of opening procedure some kind of sweep that you mm-hmm. have to do uh, one operator can do it. A team of operators can do it. A canine unit. It's the same idea of making sure that there isn't something already there waiting for you. Yeah. And uh, once you've established that and you have a perimeter, uh, the the idea is to maintain it that way. And you maintain it that way through access control. You restrict uncontrolled access points and you filter in people and objects uh, to the extent that is necessary. Every place is different. Yeah. Uh, to make sure that nothing comes and contaminates the safe zone that you've established. 
Uh, and that also, um, anytime you talk about stuff like access control, a big part of the way we think is that access control starts as soon as possible and as far away as possible. Most people think about it where there's just a few feet between the operator and the individual who shows up. So I can, hey, hello, sir, can I ask what you're coming in for? Can you show me a form of identification? Blah, 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 blah. But the process really should start way earlier, as early as possible. And that's why we want to position ourselves if possible on the outside. So you can see someone coming from a block away and you can already judge their appearance and body language and see what they're wearing, what they're carrying, how they're moving. Uh, and you send them out signals as well, like the nod of the head and watch what happens to their movement and to their body language when they get acknowledged by security. Um, and you, you try all these things to see if something might come out of them from a distance. So if I can see signs of nervousness or if I can see something that looks less than ideal, mm -hmm. I don't want to realize that that is the case when it's right on top of me. I want to see yeah. it coming. So I at least have some time either for the worst case scenario to respond to it. Mm -hmm. um, or just to collect more information. By the time they get to me, I should already have a general picture of them based on the general uh, baseline of how people move and how people look. And, um, you know, Left of Bang talks a lot about this kind of stuff. And, and yeah. I've, you know, uh, we, we're basically applying uh, many of those concepts and even some, some concepts that aren't necessarily contained in, in left of band, but that's the general idea of how we look at people and we apply it to access control before they ever even get close enough to talk to. Awesome. Yeah, no, I, I had Yosef on, as you probably know, one of the first couple episodes mm. and he taught that hunter killer program, which is that left of bang um, yeah. doctrine for over a decade. And he still does to agencies. Um, and it just, especially for protectors, I think is extremely important Yeah, you know, to understand those clusters of behavior and what to look for and, you know, to have that nonverbal conversation and things like that. It's so valuable. Yeah. Um, but I love everything you're saying, you know, like really pushing that act. Cause I, I you know, and even in my mind, sometimes you think an access control, all right, here we are. Who's coming in? Who's coming out? You know, how do we want it to look? What are we doing? But really, you know, pushing it out as far as possible. You know, when can we start picking this traffic up maybe, uh, visually or even maybe on our cameras? You know, are there Bolo vehicles we're looking for um, that are in the area and things like that? And pushing that circle out as wide as we can effectively is um, smart. And observe people when they realize what's coming, when, when yeah. they walk towards. And so we do a lot of work, uh, for example, with metal detectors. And I think that yeah. should be unsurprising since uh, with the clientele that we have. And yeah. we always position forward observers for that. And for the, to the untrained eye, these, these people are essentially ushers, you know, telling you, oh, there's the shorter line here. And uh, yeah. can you please get your bags and metallic items, you know, metallic items and, and, and bags on the But a big part of what they're doing is that they're, they're looking at how people we're looking at how people Receive. behave when they realize they have to go through a metal detector that they didn't necessarily know was coming. A lot of this stuff is done in special events where you're working in some convention center or hotel or something like that. And people aren't necessarily expecting metal detectors. So yeah. you look at how they behave 
when they realize that. Now, a lot of people can be surprised, mm-hmm. but you judge what kind of surprise. They, some people get a little nervous. Some people get a little giggly. Oh, it's like I'm going to the airport or blah, blah, blah. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> because they have nothing to hide. Yeah. And we have caught numerous people who don't behave like that. They mm-hmm. turn around and they start checking pockets. Yeah. They start kind of trying nervously pacing and trying to figure out what's going on and how they can bypass it or, and stuff yeah. like that. And that's what we're trying to, um, to, uh, to detect Smart. because yeah. you can, somebody can, can outsmart pretty much any protective measure you put out there. If you give them enough time to figure right. things out, we don't give them any time. We are going to yeah. detect them and acknowledge them as soon as they, as they show up, even in the outer circle. That's why it's really important to do, to look at the way people respond uh, in the outer circle, that transition from the outer circle to the inner circle. 100%. Yeah, no, we, uh, at one of my venues, it's a faith-based organization. We do the same exact thing. Yeah. And one of the things we tell the folks and the volunteers and things that we work with is a lot of it is just, you know, watching that body language and interviewing everyone as they come yeah. towards the doors and see that there's going to be a bag search, you know, welcome, sir, <clears throat> and be as polite as possible you know, God bless you, blah, blah, blah. But you're looking for that response to, uh, you know, that security measure because that's going to be very telling. Yeah. Uh, and and it's a great tool for deterrence too as well. You know, sometimes it's almost more about that hard target looking, being a hard target than even it is necessarily about the person you're searching sometimes at that moment, you know? Yeah. And we obviously working with the, with the Jewish houses yeah. uh, uh, of worship. Uh, you probably get that, that comment quite a bit of like, um, uh, thank you for being here, but I wish your job wasn't necessary. Yeah, like, I, I do. Count how many times I've, I've gotten that before. Yeah. Yeah. And it's always like this weird compliment, right? Yeah. This, yeah you're like, <laughs> I, you know what? I always, my reply is always, uh, thank you. And mm-hmm. I agree. Uh, yeah. Same because, here. Like, yeah. What else do you want me to say? <laughs> yeah, exactly. No, I'm the same way. I'm always like, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's very true, man. So you talked about kind of the components that go into setting, uh, setting up your kind of terrorist activity prevention measures and things like that. Are there any other measures that come to mind? Uh, yeah. I mean, there's, there's, again, this is where, where it gets into the weeds and, and, you know, there, there's no way to cover everything. Um, I will say though, one, one of the interesting dynamics is, is that that difference between uh, full-time facility campus work and okay. special event work and how the dynamics are a bit different in a special event, because uh, if it's done in, let's say, a hotel and convention center, not in a full-time facility that you protect, uh, it's a little different because you're not on hand uh, days and days or weeks or months in advance to deter a hostile planner who might be uh, trying to plan this operation, their attack, well in advance. A lot of the, a lot of the um, events that we protect are, are advertised weeks or months in advance, so somebody can potentially start preparing for it weeks or months in advance. So what you want to do, the way you want to think about it is when you show up, obviously you're doing an advance and more than one advance and you want to understand the venue. Uh, The very important thing to do is to change the environment when you put security there. So a a hostile planner might've observed it for weeks or months Mm -hmm. expecting to see one picture, but you show up before the event and you completely change it. 
you change it. Well, you, you change it obviously by your presence alone, let alone if you put metal detectors. But even if you can't do that, close the regular door and open up another door uh, where people aren't necessarily used to coming in from. If you can, a lot of places won't let you do that. But if you can, just change it up. Mm-hmm. Uh, the whole idea is to surprise the person who comes. Normal people, non-hostile people, if they get surprised, oh, they get a little confused and you have forward observers to help them. But a, a hostile planner who's expecting to see something and now sees a completely different picture with a whole team of operators, you're, you're really, really unhinging them. Upset. And they, you can either get them to, to just abandon the thing altogether or at the very least sort of very nervously to try to figure what you're doing because it wasn't part of the original plan and yeah. your position to see people doing exactly that you're setting them up to be detected. Yeah. That's awesome. No, it's the little things, man. Yeah. Cause something there, something, one thing out of the ordinary is like, ah, this is now I'm a little off balance. What's going to happen. Yeah. You know, you, you don't have that confidence going into it. And a big um, part of the Israeli thing, which again, yeah. we have to be subtle about is to elicit those responses from people. Yeah. Uh, to, to not wait to, to, to ask them questions for them to no, you, you reach out and you do something that reaches out to them. You do that nod of the head, you throw them a curveball from a yeah. distance and watch what happens to them, you know, and yeah. do it subtly enough that it's not going to offend the non-hostile people, but mm-hmm. hostile person who's already bringing nervousness and susceptibility mm-hmm. to attention from security. It might elicit that little something flinch, shuffle, yeah. double take, check the pocket really quickly. Boom. I'm on it. Uh, yeah. This guy gets checked, you know, very, very well. And, you yeah. know, and now the ball of yarn starts to unravel, you know, because I mean, they identify themselves. Yeah. You know, and then they start talking to them and then the alibis got to hold up and it just could get really weird really quick. That's awesome. Yeah. And then you don't have to harass all the normal people that much. Yeah. <laughs> you know, and you do have to contend with that idea of why are you questioning me and not that person? And yeah. you know what? <laughs> you either do or don't explain to them. In Israel, yep. you don't. Uh, here, yeah, you nice got to be more diplomatic about it. Yeah. Um, and sometimes you do. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've screened people. It's interesting. You know, I've screened people into, into Jewish houses of worship uh, with, with an Israeli delegate coming to speak. And here comes a clear, visually clear Muslim. Not just somebody on the, you know, not just a, a person who happens to be. No, no, no. This is a person dressed in traditional Muslim clothing yeah. and gets checked, gets checked much more than everybody else. Yeah. Um, he wasn't, he, you know, it, it, it totally, totally understood what I was doing. Totally okay with it. Um, understands the concern. Um, yeah. There's a lot of interfaith stuff going on here. So, yeah. you know, you got to accommodate for that. Um, yeah. It means you got to check things, but so be it. That's, that's, you know. And I think that's a mature response too. Yeah. I think that's a, it says a lot about that person's character and realistic understanding of the situation. Yeah. And not everybody's like that. So some people do get more upset. You try to kill them with kindness. It doesn't always kill them. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. But if you do it quick enough and, and uh, efficient and you realize what's going on and it's interesting that the dynamics there, uh, oftentimes the argumentative people merely by the fact that they feel that they can stand and argue in front of security Mm-hmm. Um, are telling you the first thing they're telling you in most cases, if they can argue articulately is yeah. that I'm not a hostile 
person. Right. I might yeah. be annoyed. I might be whatever. I might not agree with what yeah. I'm not a hostile person. Can't usually want to be seen. That. It's going <laughs> to come out in a much more weird, yeah. weird way. Uh, so you're, you're even with that dynamic, it's already giving me information. That's what know? I mean, once yeah. you raise your consciousness and you know the stuff to look for, yep. you can resolve it in, in another way. And there might be other things to check. Mm-hmm. because not every time it's a hostile person. We have a lot of people who come in to just disrupt an event. Yeah. No violence, but still not something you want in an event. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, oddly enough, even those make themselves pretty obvious before <laughs> they even manage to come in. I've, I've even written about it. You know, I yeah. used to wonder how come they can't just dress right and put a nice smile on and come in like everybody, because they can't, they can't, <laughs> they can't do it. It's so it's no James Bond's trying to go in and disrupt events. There's always going to be something you're going to pick up on. Yeah. Yeah. yeah they can't just end there, but then they're talking to someone in the lobby, giving themselves yeah. away. And, they're, and they're transitioning from the outer circle to the inner circle in a way that they don't realize is not uh, within the baseline of how people move. They show yeah. up together in the outer circle, they don't realize that we've detected them. And then they split up, <laughs> come in separate. And like, come on, yeah, like, well, how am I not going to pick that up? You know, yeah, it's like, yeah, yeah. that's funny. Yeah. yeah, no, that's good, man. That's very good. That's good stuff. What types of attacks are, are there any common types of attack profiles that you guys see or deal with? So we I have to say, we, you know, if there were a terrorist attack in, the San Francisco Bay Area, you would have heard about it, you know, so yeah. we haven't, luckily, we, we haven't had full on terrorist attacks here. Most of what you catch, I can say across the board is, mm-hmm. is not that hostile. The hostile stuff is not very common, mm-hmm. much more common to catch the non-hostile protesters, disruptors, disruptors yeah. stuff like that is, is, uh, is not uncommon. And you either can or can't uh, screen it out before. Yeah. Not every time it's possible to deny access to people, right. even to people who you've questioned and they, it's like, yeah, you know, but this is supposed to be an open, open <laughs> the public thing. So you, you got to let them in and you, you pay attention to them. And uh, what do you know? Boom, up they oh, go here. and they start yelling and <laughs> two operators on one usually. And whoop, okay, out we go. They don't yeah, usually yeah. resist. Uh, sometimes mm-hmm. they do because they want a part of the point is to get arrested and they, and they do. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, th- those things tend to be more common. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, no, and I, I know that feeling when you're like, this guy's going to be a problem. Yeah, He hasn't done anything. We can't kick him out. We can't take yeah. him out, you know, but. And, you know, another thing that we've had is, you know, the, the bomb threats mm-hmm. were, um, you know, the threatening, the, the phone call bomb threat things yeah. um, that was uh, going on about two years ago. We had a good amount of those. Mm-hmm. Um, and. Um, yeah, usually not anything that that anybody gets hurt. About. Suspicious items, EOD has to show up. We've had a bunch of those. Um, disruption. Yeah. yeah. Okay, good to go. What um are there any like kind of do's and don'ts that stand out? You know, any like even misconceptions that that guys come to you with when it comes to terrorist activity prevention? Yeah. I think the biggest one is that conflation of prevention and reaction. 
uh, of thinking that uh, terrorist activity prevention is the same as counterterrorism. It is not. Counterterrorism is what SWAT units usually do, or or you know the the uh, counterterrorism has to do with force on force mm. as opposed to a preventive vaccine before any force is applied because you're targeting the planner. You're not targeting the executioner, uh, the attacker. Wow. Like I said, you want to have both capabilities on hand, but you don't want to conflate one for the other. They, they are different things. The same people can do both things. It's just a question of what you do first and what you might have to do later if necessary. So that's a big one. Mm-hmm. Um, another one is, I think, the natural tendency to not balance things right, where uh, it's a tightrope, really, to walk the line of of security together with customer service. Mm. And it's very easy to kind of fall to one side of the tightrope or the other to get too strict with people and, uh, or, or to get too nice and you don't want to offend anybody. So that, that weird looking person, you didn't want to, okay, let's just go in and everybody just have a good time and happy. uh, So it's that, that very, very tricky tightrope in the middle to, to, to balance. Mm. Yeah, no, that's good. I think we all struggle with that second one, <laughs> you know, because yeah. I mean, you know, when you want to kind of put yourself out there and, and, and skyline yourself as that guy, you know, who stopped yeah. such and such or has now caused a, a social incident, like this has caused an issue, you know, yeah, because you've you've tried to do your job, you know, um, and then also you're representing the reputation of your clientele and also the representation of your company. Yeah. There's always these gears in the back of your head that are like, if I engage in this, you know, these outcomes can go anywhere. (laughs) And you know, another, another big part that I also uh, try to explain uh, is the, the idea that security is kind of an umbrella term to, Mm -hmm. for a number of things. Uh, Most of the time when we talk about security, we're talking about, physical protection, yeah. uh, physical protection of assets, mostly people that are the big asset. Um, but the umbrella contains more than just the physical protection. It, it contains the feeling, the emotional feeling of security, not for us, for the clients, the people who are paying for this, yeah. particularly when you're doing preventive security, the only way that a client can really judge your performance is by how they feel. Do they feel secure? Are you imparting to them the feeling that they're safe, they're secure, I'm watching your back, don't worry, everything's okay. Yeah. And the idea that your prevent your protective measures have to, in addition to protecting the assets, they have to impart that feeling of security to the client. And I've seen people, unfortunately, who can't quite understand that concept. So they, they get really good at the physical protection uh-huh. and really they, they get kind of cocky about it. And they don't think that they need to reach out and demonstrate that to the client. And that's a mistake because a client who doesn't understand what you're doing for them will probably ask you to be replaced by somebody who is better at that. Somebody who makes them more comfortable. So yeah. never forget that comfort level that the client has to have with you. Like, yeah, absolutely. So you're saying basically, because a lot of what we do, the clients don't understand. Mm-hmm. And so maybe part of it comes to educating the clients, <laughs> but helping them like, I don't know, see the value in what you're doing when you're doing it 
it's just better for your health when you have to do it. And, and maybe not valuing the clients, like kind of civilian mindset around what you're doing is a big mistake. So I would say, yeah, explaining things, educating the client is important, but beyond that, yeah, I think a lot of what I'm talking about here, because I, I love to educate people as much as I can, they don't usually give you all that much time is demonstrating to the client. Okay. So for example, the nod of the head that you give to people yeah. who arrive, I give it to everybody. Okay. Me too. So obviously it's the bad guys that need to get it because you want to see if you can elicit something. You also give it to the point of contact. You also give it to the CEO. You always also give it to everybody. Yeah. And I've gotten comments and mostly of, of course, compliments from, from uh, people in facilities where so the head rabbi or CEO or somebody who's like, well, you know, you always see me from yeah. like a block and a half away. And I say, uh, thank you. Yes. I, I also, I always see everybody coming from a block away and there's like, that's, like you, you show them, you demonstrate to them that that's the kind of attention that you're giving. Because if you don't do that, if you see the vehicle of your point of contact or the, or somebody from the facility and, and you know, they have a schedule kind of thing and they always park yeah. around there and they always walk and that's fine. That's nobody who's, a, you know, I know the person they're, they're totally cool. I can concentrate on what's going on here. And I don't, you know, guess what they think when they walk in. You just you didn't even see me, right? If you're doing access control. Of course, I saw the person, right. but if you don't show them that you see them, if you don't demonstrate that to them, they're usually going to assume the worst about you. They're yes. going to assume that you're not paying enough attention. So yeah. you always, that's a, one of the sad things about our, our industry, that if you don't demonstrate, at least in a subtle way. It didn't happen. Then if you didn't report it, or if you didn't, if it was an incident, then the assumption is that you weren't there or you didn't, you didn't notice it. And they're going to start yeah. feeling uncomfortable with the, with the idea that you're not, you're not watching out for them. So it doesn't take much. If you can just spot the person from a distance, give them a little nod of the head, show them where you are, show them how much attention you're get, giving them. We've, yeah. Sometimes in the mornings, for example, we'll get graffiti on the walls. Um, we've had all sorts of stuff in the Jewish community, you know, swastikas and hate crimes, yeah. all sorts of stuff like that. But even if it's not anything serious like that, you got to report that kind of stuff. Right? Yeah. You can't just walk past something like graffiti and say, yeah, it's paint on the wall. It's not hurting anybody. It's just yeah. got tagged in the middle of it. No, you, you gotta, if you, if they didn't get the report from you first about that, you're wrong. The assumption is you didn't see it and, and they, they think you're not paying any attention. So yeah. it's the, the importance of demonstrating what you're doing to the client. Mm -hmm. okay. Yeah, no, that's huge. That's huge. And it validates the concept. I mean, mm -hmm. you don't make money for the client, <laughs> you know? So it's like, yeah, any opportunity you can. Absolutely. You are a huge expense to the client. Yeah. Yeah. It's uh, a great one. Man. Yeah. That's good stuff. Types of terrorists? Are there, what kind of demographics do you guys see around? Is it just kind of really one type? With the Jewish community, mm -hmm. um, I think the biggest split is between some form or another of Islamist terrorists, okay. terrorism, and white supremacy. And at least in the U.S., I think it's always been the case yeah. Obviously, 9-11 was a big, huge blip of Islam's terrorism, um, but it's always been the case that white supremacist 
terrorism and attacks uh, are much more common than Islamist terrorism in the U.S. It's a bigger yeah. problem. So, you know, some of those preconceived notions of looking for the Middle Easterner and looking for, no, that's, you know oh, what, man. you can't, it doesn't always, no, no. It's Statistically okay. speaking, we get more of the white supremacy stuff. Yeah, and in terms of success, successful attacks as well. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, up there. So that's a big one and, and it's it's gotten way bigger in the last few years too. So that's a huge concern. Yeah. Yeah. That, that, that also, when I started to study these things a bit more, it's like, wow, that, that revelation, you know, I was kind of like, wow, okay. Well, especially too coming out of the Marine Corps, I've been looking, you know, dealing primarily with one, you know, uh, demographic really mm-hmm. primarily. So I, I, I agree with that, you know, that, that whole kind of sentiment. What do you find most fascinating about the terrorist prevention work that you do? I think the idea that you can treat everybody the same and they sort themselves out. I think, I think that the, the aesthetics of that, that you understand the susceptibilities of a hostile observer and realize that, that you don't have to smash those eggs to make that omelet. Uh, I think that's a really neat way when you dial it in to a subtle, to such a subtle uh, extent, and you can produce really good results in a very subtle way. Now, it doesn't yeah. always stay that subtle. Fair enough. Yeah. Some people, you know, you get a, give a nod of the head from security. They receive a nod of the head from security when they're in the vantage point from, let's say, a block away. Some get it, some don't. Mm-hmm. Sometimes you have to spell it out for them a little bit more. You got to kind of crank it up a little bit louder, yeah. you know, a little more than a nod of the head. Maybe they need the wave. Maybe the yeah. radio comes out and you got to kind of give them like, look a little, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, let me spell it out for you. You didn't get it, get the hint. So now I'm going to, you know. Hi, you. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. I've gotten all the way to where you're doing a full on incident in front of a person just visually to get him out, to get him away from there. So uh, yeah. for example, I had uh, working in one of the, one of the temples with the school and they have a, a preschool and there's a, a pickup of children. So doors are open, security is there, parents coming in to come in to pick up their kids. And here's a guy sitting in a pickup truck on the other side, a caddy corner, like on the other side of the intersection nervously smoking cigarettes and looking at the entrance. Okay, nod of the head, not another nod of the head. How you doing? Nod of the head, looking, more looking, nod of the head, what's going on? Trying to see if the person's, not nothing. Sitting there nervously smoking cigarettes, looking at the entrance. Yeah. Uh, I can't go over there, I can't leave my post. Right. Um, I was working it alone, I don't have anybody to, to back me up, not in that moment. Mm-hmm. Um, I can't, I don't see a weapon. I can't call 911 on a guy sitting in his car. There's no, so what do you do? You, you make it into a full on, here comes the radio. Yeah. You start pacing, pointing, so, yeah, camera, you you're filming. Pictures, yeah. That's yeah. an omelet where you're smashing eggs to make. Now you're smashing eggs. That is a <laughs> blunt <laughs> instrument. Pictures of me. <laughs> yeah. That is hitting people over the head with that, which is the reason why you use that kind of stuff really sparingly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You don't want to do, do it. It's very effective, but it's a bit too blunt. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a blunt object. Yeah, <laughs> so you don't want to overuse it. You're going to piss yeah. off too many people. Even then, the probability is not a terrorist. Um, right. So it's, it's just, yeah. look, I'll apologize for it later. I don't know if this is last minute 
surveillance before an attack. I got to do something. It's riskier yeah. not to do it than to do it. I'll do it. Yeah. Again, I'll apologize for it later. Mm-hmm. If necessary. But you were doing your job. Yeah, exactly. That's awesome. Now you're, now you're breaking eggs on that album. <laughs> <laughs> sometimes you can't always, yeah. Sometimes you're going to break some eggs. It's inevitable. Yeah. Oh man. That's awesome, man. What are the hardest lessons you've learned in the field doing this work with the terrorist prevention? Well, you know, this is maybe a good, a good segue um, yeah. to go from the terrorist activity prevention into the surveillance detection that I do a lot of writing about. And okay. um, in, uh, in 2008, uh, the company decided uh, to send me to Israel. So I, I, I go to Israel once a year, every, every year anyway, but to send me to a surveillance detection course in Israel, basically to bring back some of that knowledge from surveillance detection to raise our level of terrorist activity prevention, to delve more deeply into the hostile planning process and to see if there's, uh, there's stuff in surveillance detection that can elevate our level of work. And, you know, at that point, I was already doing this kind of work for four years. I had gotten a ton of experience with the Jewish organizations, Israeli government, foreign governments, every single law enforcement agency in the Bay Area that we worked with, you know, foreign dignitaries and State Department and just working with a huge variety uh, on this. And, you know, I assumed very wrongly that I would be probably okay in the Israeli surveillance detection course that I was going to go. And, uh, you know, the guy who, who did it, you had him on not, not too long ago. It was Ivor, Ivor Terrett. Yeah. And, uh, I'm not sure if he still runs those. He, we had a very short amount of time and, and he basically, this is negotiations between our companies and, and he basically put a much larger course uh, condensed into a very, very short period of time mm-hmm. through me as an Israeli. So you can be kind of rough with me and everybody else there was rough with me too. And <laughs> man, that was humbling. That was yeah. really, really, really humbling stuff. Um, because wow. not only did I not do well, it's like, I was just completely lost. Uh, but that's, that's the beauty of like getting home yeah. because so you good. learn, it elevates you. And then I took that back and, and, um, started applying more of that in what we did and started applying it in new stuff, which, which started out being courses that we uh, ran together doing teaching surveillance detection and then getting into surveillance detection operations mm-hmm. uh, and learning even more about how it works and, and what works and what doesn't work and what works in some environments and what kind of people work in some environments and not in other environments. And, um, yeah, so that was by far the the biggest for me. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Okay. Awesome. So what makes a person, place, or thing attractive to a terrorist uh, organization? So the two main things that are uh, attractive pretty much to, to a criminal in general, but maybe terrorist in particular, is that the two qualities that a target needs to have are value and ease. Uh, the value, depending on what it is, I mean, most crime is monetary. So value in that case would be a monetary value. Terrorism is, a, is ultimately a political value. Mm-hmm. So you want to create uh, a political effect uh, by means of a, of a sub-goal of creation of death and destruction. So um, if the place is valuable from a, 
from a terrorist perspective, it means it's well-known. It means it can create a big effect in that respect. Uh, so um, the level of exposure, the level of uh, notoriety that a place has, the, the how famous it is, is the value aspect. And the other is ease. How easy is it? And so the ideal terrorist target would be very valuable and very easy. Uh, it turns out that you don't necessarily have all that many targets like that, that are very, very valuable and very easy because a target that's a high value target usually has more security on it to make it less easy. Yeah. Um, what usually gets picked by terrorist organizations is the easiest target though. Uh, even if the ease, the ease will always trump the value. Even if the easiest target has less value than uh, a harder uh, target, the, the easier one is most likely to be chosen. Uh, it isn't necessarily an absolutely easy target, but it's a relatively easy. If it's relatively easier than the other potential targets on that list, that's most likely to be chosen. Awesome. So from the, so from the, uh, from the perspective of a client of, of the, the targets themselves, you want to compare yourself to your comparable organizations. I know some people get uncomfortable with that idea of comparing yourself. That's what the bad guys do. So you, you better do it yourself to see how well you fare compared to the competition. How, mo how much more likely it is that they'll choose you rather than somebody else. Absolutely. You want to be the less easiest target in the game. No, but I, I agree 100%. I think, I mean, there's just so much value in putting yourself in the mindset of your adversary. Yeah. yeah. Uh, it's, it's huge. And, and just observing and looking for the holes in your game and the chinks in your armor. And how would you do it with your life experience and training and understanding of things? And those same holes that you see other people can perceive. You know? Yeah. Otherwise you're just shooting in the dark. Bad guys just come out of nowhere. And if, yeah. you, if you can't take that perspective. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So you want to be the hardest target in essence. Yeah. Essentially. And you know, it's funny, like I've, the Darwinian, the, the Darwin's theory, man, it's, 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 they, they he, yeah, he said survival of the fittest, but um, when you go deeper into that stuff, it seems like, survival of the herd is truly what what he was getting at if you've ever studied some of that stuff yeah i mean the, uh, it depends and there's there's some controversy to to the yeah. group uh, uh versus individual survival. when it comes to evolution but in many in many situations depending on on uh the animal we're making an analogy here of course yes. but uh A the group makes sure the group the, the best way to protect the individual is if the individual is within a group. So there's a group mm -hmm. dynamic that, that strengthens every single individual in there, uh, makes them stronger than if they were just on right. their own. Yeah. And, and then I guess the point I was also getting at is it's elimination of the weakest, the elimination of the easiest target yeah. tends to be what we see, you know, what we see happen a lot of times. So yeah, you don't want to be the easy, you don't want to be the low hanging fruit. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah, that's, that's, a, that's another really good analogy of the low hanging fruit. Yeah. yeah, man. Is there something that's, uh, I have one of the most important things to remember, something that's very important to remember when dealing with a terrorist organization, things that are important to remember or know about them. Um, they can help someone. Yeah. I think, I think just that going back to the fact that, that, uh, terrorist attacks don't come out of nowhere. Gunmen don't appear, don't materialize inside buildings. They yeah. have to come from somewhere. 
And these are, you don't have to sympathize with these people, but you have to understand that these are people. They base decisions on what they know Mm. and nobody, even if it's a suicide mission from their perspective, they don't want it to be a failed mission. So they're not trying to fail. They're trying to succeed, which means they're doing some kind of preparation, some kind of planning, some kind of collection of information before they execute. And uh, look for that. Not Don't just wait around for the attack to come. Uh, mm-hmm. Nip it in the bud. Look, Be proactive about it. And that's, I think, really the, the most important thing. Uh, not to conflate that. Don't, don't just argue with, well, what about the, guy, the, the guys already inside shooting people? Then what do I do? Well, okay, we'll talk about that. Yeah, there's there's some emergency reactive responses that we should talk about, but mm-hmm. that doesn't come out of nowhere. Yeah. And then on the other side of it, you know, on the right side of bang, um, you know, if something like that does seem like it's happening uh, or is eminent, do you have um, what would be the considerations as something like that begins to unravel? If you do have, you know, someone coming towards the metal detectors, it seems like uh, their sweaty palms, they're nervous. What types of considerations kind of go into something like that? I know it's going to have to be a broad stroke situation. To yeah. And, um, you know, I, in an ideal situation, and mm-hmm. uh, we don't always have it, but we have it quite often, uh, you do want to have reactive capabilities on hand. So if not, if you don't have armed security, uh, we often do have armed security, but um, particularly if it has a political bend to it, or or definitely if it has the Israeli or Jewish community uh, there, we often will have law enforcement or government uh, there uh, on hand to provide that reactive capability. If it's up to us, and if we could do something about it, if if it did come all the way to the metal detectors. Um, yeah, that's a, that's a pretty hairy situation. If you can, at the very least, take it outside, get some distance, try to push it, try to get it away, try to not have to deal with it inside or around people. Um, we've had some situations with altercations and with uh, maybe the more violent disruptors where that you don't know what's going to happen. Uh, yeah. You don't know if it's so you do need to try to push it out as much as possible. If you, if you couldn't meet it and prevent it from coming inside to let it stay, then you try to push it out as much as you can. But yeah, there's no real, you know, kind of secret formulas for this kind of stuff. At no, really this point, there's just, yeah. How do you stay sharp? You know, cause it's like, it's part of our art really to be like, uh, I'm trying to look for this word, you know, they use when they're like hunting Moby Dick kind of, but like, there's this art, like, like how do you personally stay yeah. sharp in a world where, you know, the big one hasn't maybe happened yet. You know, the, they haven't, you haven't, you know, like the, the big attack on your client hasn't happened, but how do yeah. you keep your mind sharp and keep your mind in the game? And, you know, what would you say to guys that are looking at that equation, you know? That's a really tough one because I don't know if I have a a good answer to that. I can think of either situations where, let's say, we have to screen 3,000 people in through metal detectors. And how do you do every single person? Or if you have a situation where you're you're posted outside and it's getting dark and there's nobody there. 
And yeah. how do you stay alert? How do you stay awake? How do you, how do you avoid, you know, kind of looking at your phone the whole time or something like that? And it's a good those, time to attack you. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> those, and those are two very different dynamics. I, I don't know if it's necessarily teachable. I think that some of that, a lot of that falls into your character and can you, do you have that self-discipline? Because most of it is self-discipline, particularly self. when you're on your own, there's nobody there to give you orders. You have to maintain that, mm -hmm. uh, that self-discipline to do it. Uh, and the ability to deal with tedium. Sometimes it's boredom. Sometimes it's not boredom because it's not boring. It's just very tedious. You got to be switched on even though something, nothing's happening. So yeah. you can't fall back necessarily into the boredom. I don't know. You know, it's, yeah. it, it, it has to do with character and it has to do with discipline. I think for me, oftentimes it has to do with a certain concern, or I don't want to say even fear of what would happen if I get caught with my pants down. And yes. just that fear of like, I don't want to be that ass with yeah. my pants down that keeps you decent. And, yeah. and you, you don't want to be the one that let it through. You don't want to be the one that, that allowed that to happen. Every time you're on duty, every person you let in mm -hmm. your signature on that visa, so to speak. And it's yeah. like, if you're, you're, it's you let them in. So it's your reputation. So, you know, it, you have to be able to balance that, you know, look at every single person individually. Don't, don't let it, don't let, there's no pace to it. There's every single person is an every, as a single person is an individual. Uh, you have to observe it in the right way. Again, it sounds very strict to say it like this. Of course it gets balanced out and it doesn't necessarily look that like that. But I think that, that, that's the main thing is that for me, it was the, uh, I don't want to be the guy that was caught with my pants down. Mm, yeah. So a healthy level of, of fear, a healthy level of personal pride. Um, yes. Yes. You know what? Pride oftentimes is, is looked down on it. It, it, I, it could be very constructive, just like anger can, by the way, Absolutely. it could be a good motivator. Yeah. Uh, you don't want to be humiliated. You would be humiliated rightfully. So in many mm -hmm. cases, Deserving. Uh, not everything is preventable. Look, there's mistake. There's things that happen that aren't necessarily the fault of the security officer. But damn, I'm going to make sure that if that happens, it's not going to be my fault. So I'm, I'm. I don't want it. You know, there's many ways where it can be your fault. So really, really don't want that to happen. It has yeah. to do with your pride. It has to do with yourself, with your respect and honor. You know that yeah. you don't want to. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. And then you also said to see each individual as its own part of the like it is an its own equation like each yeah. individual person needs to be treated the same but also they're an individual person i see um, that a lot when people are screened in through metal detectors where there's like hundreds or thousands of people and it's easy for people to get in some kind of a pace rhythm, particularly when the client wants everybody to be in by a certain time and every mm -hmm. as you get into it there is no pace there's every single individual. It could be quick, but it's somebody doesn't get in on the merit of the last 10 people who got in. It, it, if everybody took 10 seconds and this person takes five minutes, so be it. That's I need five minutes to check this person out. Yeah. 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 And it takes us, it, it takes a certain amount of focus uh, 
from a security professional, man, and a, and, and a sober mindedness, really. Yeah. And that's, again, the part I, I don't know how to teach that, you know, yeah, that, you're right. It is very much a character issue, uh, I think, too, because, you know, I, I think the personal pride aspect of it would have been there before the Marine Corps and the discipline would have been there, you know, by the way, I was raised before I went <laughs> and learned the Marine Corps. But the Marine Corps definitely amplified my ability to sit on post and be like fixed. Uh, that's that's a perfect. I was just going to say the military, you know, there's there's a lot of stuff where you, you know, military is very different from security. But you know what? That is a huge one. And I, I don't want to. I wish it wouldn't, it would sound not as bad so as I'm going to make it sound, but yeah. the military in many ways, and this one is specifically, um, is oftentimes a better preparation for this kind of work than law enforcement. Mm. Um, that dogged self-discipline to, it's not necessarily something that a lot of, that you find a lot, or you find it more in the military than in law enforcement, I find. Yeah. Mm. Being on the receiving end of people from both fields. Yeah. Um, yeah. 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 Cause it's just like a, it's a, just, it's a focus. That's like, yeah, it doesn't care. Like, like you don't care. Like, no, bro, you're on post for six hours. Like, yeah. Don't let me, you're sitting in that box, you know, yeah. don't let me catch you. And just to, because there's probably law enforcement people who are listening to this and yeah. I don't want to make, you know, yeah. uh, just because military prepares you more for one aspect, one aspect doesn't mean yeah. <laughs> that it's prepares you for everything. Because yeah. for example, when it comes to reading people mm -hmm. and it comes to reading suspicious indicators and looking yeah. at people's shoes and their fingers and their mannerisms. And a lot of times people out of the military aren't necessarily going to get that. And, and people from law enforcement, I mean, man, they have PhDs and that kind of stuff. So, right. uh, yeah. And then, uh, you know, just to bring it back to center two, man, with my military guys, I, I got guys I'd go into a house with any day, but you know, you got to refine the, those rough edges yeah. that come oh, yeah. from that type of yeah. discipline, yeah. rigidity yeah. and all these things that comes with rough edges. Cause then yeah. I got to be like, Hey bro, this is, you know, here you've got to flex a little bit and here you've got to, this is a security consideration, but this is a social consideration. Yeah. And you've yeah. got to do all these different, you know, and they're like, you know, I'm like, Hey, this is, this is how you survive in this environment. This is what we're doing here. It know? doesn't, and it doesn't always work out. Always we've, we've had cases out. where both us, ex us military, Israeli military guys, yeah. it's like, dude, we are not in Israel. That's you yeah. can't, it's like you do that again and you're probably out, man. You, we yeah, can't. And I can't help you. Yeah, exactly. I tried already. This is the last chance, man. Yeah. 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 No, I go to war with you, bro, but you're not going to make it here. Exactly. Yeah. Oh man. Well, that's awesome, man. Is there anything else on the tip of your tongue as far as the kind of the terrorist prevention work that you do? You know, I think, I think an interesting and surprising thing is that once you learn about hostile plan, about terrorist activity prevention, about, mm -hmm. about the, the, hostile planning process uh, that comes before a terrorist attack, uh, you'll start noticing that it comes, in, in, it comes before most types of crimes. They might not necessarily be planned as thoroughly, statistically speaking, as terrorism, mm -hmm. but we used to do loss prevention for years in sporting mm -hmm. goods stores. Very different kind of security, by the way, loss prevention, because your yeah. main asset is the, is the product. And we used to notice people doing ho complete hostile planning processes 
yeah. or shoplifting. I'm not talking about a stick of gum in your pocket. I'm talking about procurement of there's entire organizations that do this kind of stuff. And really? it, yeah, yeah, yeah. They procure products from stores for winning. There's entire rings of these kinds of, uh, of things, particularly for more expensive items. And they go through perfect hostile planning processes. And wow. it's, it's a, it used to blow my mind to see that, particularly when you do different stores uh-huh. and the stores communicate and you see people doing their initial surveillance, bump, jumping around between different stores, oh, wow. looking for the advantage, looking for the advantages, looking for what they're going to do, doing rehearsals, doing all these kinds of things. It's, uh, yeah. So sophisticated. It, <laughs> yeah. And it's, it's interesting to see, you know what it is yeah. and it isn't because these are human beings trying to achieve something. And yeah. if you look at what the hostile planning process is and you, 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 uh, write it down, you'll see that it isn't just even only for crime. Uh, it's how military operations are planned as well. It's, yeah. it's a, a well, literally it is actually of action. That. Yeah. That's wild. Yeah. So, and, and the, 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 I think the most important thing about this is to demystify terrorism and crime and to understand that this is something that comes out of human beings. And again, I'm not trying to sympathize with the bad guys, but the better you understand the way of thinking, the better positioned you are to disrupt it. Well said. Fantastic. That's awesome. Now, is there anything, uh, any practices in terms of lifestyle that you do that you're doing that you think make you a better, better at this work or just better as an individual? Probably, you know, I don't want to, I don't to think of myself as, as better than others, but uh, I think, I think, uh, I think the fact that I analyze, I have a very analytical kind of mind. I like to think about stuff and I would like to think about why it works and why it doesn't work and what makes the difference between things. And if you combined with kind of being a watcher, be, be a watcher of people, mm-hmm. look at people, try to figure people out, try to play I, I have an article called inductive observation of try to play a Sherlock's home Sherlock Holmes kind of game with people try to figure them out try to see what it is on the outside what it is on what they're wearing what they have what they're anything they have on their bodies anything any jewelry any the way they move and try to figure out what kind of person this is and mm-hmm. try to test these hypotheses uh, in situations where you do get to find out mm-hmm. and you get better at this gradually yeah. You make mistakes and you learn from them and you, and you succeed and you learn from that. And you try to be a watcher and try to always think about what it means that a person has something like this on them at yeah. this place at this time. What does it mean about the person? What does it mean about where they're going, right. about what their motivations are? Nothing is on you randomly. You no. put everything there. What does it say about you? And what does it say about what you're going to do, what you're planning on doing? And that is why I don't have sleeves tattooed. <laughs> like I was like, man, maybe I should. And then I was like, nah, man, they dudes start thin slicing me. And then you're married to all these concepts you're exposing. I mean, if you do, you do. But um, I think the same way, man, what, you know, the jewelry people wear, that, that's such good advice. And when you say like, you know, you're operating on a higher level of awareness than most people are when you yeah. start really be like oh there's a guy seems like a cool guy this is what he does for a living blah 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 but then there's the other person who does the things that you just told them who's like taking a look at say the jewelry they're wearing how expensive is it 
what size stones do they have? It's not necessarily like a status symbol, but it tells me a little bit about maybe a little bit about your personality, maybe taken in conjunction with the shoes that you're choosing to wear. Exactly. That yourself. Yeah. uh, You know, and, and all these little things, these little clusters that you're present, you chose to present this to me. This is what you chose (laughs) to see or for us to see. And now I understand a little bit about what you're presenting. Why are you presenting this? And uh, now a 30 second conversation can go from just like your basic, oh, he seems like a pretty cool guy to like, maybe, maybe you understand some things about that person's character yeah. on a deeper level. Um, and it's so stinking valuable. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, even you, like uh, you're, you're a pretty well-known person in our industry. So it, it, it isn't like saying much, but just that wet, that ring you have, yeah, that type of wedding ring matched with that ruggedized watch that you have on your hand, on your wrist. And, and the way you have the, the, you know, your, your physique and the way you, you know, it's, it's not at all impossible or huge stretch Mm. to figure out that you probably have some kind of background, some kind of military law enforcement security, kind of something going on there just based on those little cues. Yeah. They're they're expressions of who you are, of who you are. And you can't get away from them. You know, like for me, when I see somebody with like Armin Phoenix five watches, I'm like, yo, this is an outdoors guy. This is a functional yeah. guy, possibly a military background. Cause like who else needs a watch that has like GPS yeah. and all this weirdness in it. You know, this is yeah. an Apple watch guy. Yeah. You know I mean, like, this is a little bit different. You could have just yeah. went and got an Apple watch. It does all the cool stuff, you know? Um, so, and these are valuable little like head starts in certain directions that can help you gain rapport with someone, which is tremendously beneficial depending on your outcome, even if your outcome is to stop them or do something security related or anything, you know, gain rapport with them, understand them. Um, you know, I've got a cross on, <laughs> you know what I mean? That's another huge, now you can understand a lot more about my psychology. Yeah. Um, and and by the way, you can do something about that if you want to. And that kind of comes into play a lot when you're working covert. Yeah, uh, yeah. for whatever purpose. And you don't necessarily want people to, to know that. So you want to absolutely, A, be conscious of how you look to others, mm-hmm. be in control of that. So if you want to project something other than what you actually are, because mm-hmm. you want to be under some kind of a visual cover, then you want to get rid of those items and you want to replace them with, with maybe something else. I have mm-hmm. in my closet, I have a bunch of clothes that I hate. I, I, I don't even know what <laughs> compelled me to get those fucking mm-hmm. shirts and whatever. I yeah. have them per- specifically for when I need to look dorky and silly, yeah, and annoying and whatever yeah. uh, to not represent who I really am in the field. Uh, That's beautiful. That's good stuff. Man. Yeah. Awesome. Well, I think that concludes most of our, our, our right. episode, man. Thanks so much for your time. Uh, I mean, it's been, it's been an outstanding conversation. Thank you very much for having me. Yeah. And anybody who wants to find more as I keep uh, yapping about the fact that I do a lot of writing pretty much again, I'm a much better writer, I promise than a speaker. So you can, you can find my stuff on uh, protectioncircle.org. Um, you can find my book, Surveillance Zone. It's it's out everywhere. Amazon, Apple Books, um, new audio, uh, just out uh, as an audio book. You find it on Audible. It's called Surveillance Zone. And um, 
And yeah, look up uh, Highcom Security Services as well. Pretty much everything I ever talked about with protection circles, surveillance zone, anything is all work I've done over the years for Highcom. Yeah, and I'm already looking forward to our next episode, which will be on surveillance detection. That's awesome. coming up. That's coming up that you guys are going to love because you know it's 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 we we already talked a lot about it, but we're going to do a whole episode. Yeah, we could it. go we could go a bit deeper. <laughs> Heck yeah, we're going to go way deeper. All right, Ami, I appreciate you, man. Thank you so much. For, All right, thank you very much. Uh, see you out there in the field. Bye for now. Bye. Boom, yo! Special announcement: We've got the very first protector symposium coming up this november 15th and 16th check the website byron rogers motivation for more information about it you can purchase tickets there it's going to be amazing we've got ed caldrone and yosef badu coming on to teach us some hardcore soft skills check it out get involved i guarantee you won't be disappointed we're going to have a great time leveling up as protector so check the website byron rogers motivation Dot com or executiveprotectionlifestyle.com for all the details and to purchase you and your security detail, police department, or family's tickets out. Boom, and to support this podcast, go to executiveprotectionlifestyle.com and contribute to our Patreon account. That Patreon account is what helps me make this podcast possible contributing to this brand what we're doing here making it so that i can bring better guests on making it so that we can plan more events and just expand the contribution to the private security industry and also to make an america a safer place by teaching people how to protect themselves and the mindset behind that the lifestyle behind that you guys are already killing it one dollar a month five dollars a month ten bucks a month twenty bucks a month whatever you can do that you know you would probably just lose in the mattress anyway or spend on mcdonald's hey you want to put it towards something that's going to good use put it towards a podcast and get involved in our our patreon account at executive protection lifestyle.com if you want to find me that's byron rogers motivation.com um you know do whatever you can contribute whatever you can to that patreon account because it makes all of these things possible ladies and gentlemen so much love Thank you, thank you, thank you, and thank you for making those contributions. You guys rock. We're already doing amazing there, and it's just because of you guys. So thanks once again for those contributions. Boom! I hope you guys enjoyed that episode of Executive Protection Lifestyle Podcast. This whole entire thing actually just started off as a Facebook group that blew up and is one of the fastest growing, if not the fastest growing executive protection uh, Facebook group online. So if you haven't joined the Facebook group, join the Facebook group. Uh, Follow us on Instagram and check us out at executiveprotectionlifestyle.com. If you want to find me, that's Byron Rogers Motivation. Com, and I'm on all the social media platforms, Instagram, Twitter, Facebook as well. So until the next podcast, y'all, stay sharp out there. And as I say it, one mind, many weapons. Talk soon. Out. <laughs>